In the reading corner today, joining me from Massachusetts, I'm delighted to be welcoming Lauren Walk. Uh, Lauren is well known here in the UK for her novels Wolf Hollow, Echo Mountain, Beyond the Bright Sea. And today we're going to be talking mainly about My Own Lightning, her most recent publication. I'd love to start, actually, by just taking a step back and thinking about that novel, Wolf Hollow. Uh, In case there are some that haven't read that book, maybe you could summarise it for us in your words without perhaps giving away too many spoilers. Sure, of course. Um, I wrote Wolf Hollow, um, I guess, about six, seven years ago now. Um, and I, I, I wrote it primarily as a tribute to a place and a way of life. Uh, my, my mother grew up on a farm in Western Pennsylvania, and I spent a lot of time there myself growing up. And I love, love, love it. And, um, and I miss the people associated with it, my grandparents and uncles and, and spending time there. So when I wrote the book, um, I chose that setting and that time. But it's a work of fiction inspired by stories my mother told me uh, of her life as a child there. Um, but I always write without a map. I don't know what's coming next. And so as I was beginning to write this, the book Wolf Hollow, my imagination, the characters took me into really unfamiliar territory where Annabelle, my protagonist, encounters a terrible bully named Betty, who decides she is going to victimize several people, including a man named Toby, who is a veteran of World War I and is very damaged. What we call now PTSD is what, what, what they called shell shock then. And so it's really a story about Annabelle trying to figure out how to protect the innocent, how to fight for justice um, on her own at 12 years old, uh, how her family um, helps her in the end, um, and what she learns along the way. It's a mixture of light and dark, very much so. There are very sad themes in it. Um, And that all leads to the sequel, My Own Lightning, because Annabelle comes out of the experiences she has in Wolf Hollow, a very changed person, very preoccupied with what's happened to her, the mistakes she made and and the fights that she fought. And so the next book is really about um, how her world has changed and how she approaches her life now. There's quite a lot that I want to pick up just from your introduction there. I'm going to say that... um, as we were saying just before we started recording, that your writing reminded me of Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, even though I know they're set in very different parts of America and the situation is very different. But there was something, there was an echo, uh, a sort of feeling of that book in your writing. Right. And I see some parallels kind of belatedly. I was so focused on my own family's uh, heritage and history and my imagination. I didn't see the parallels, even though I know To Kill a Mockingbird well and love it. Um, But, you know, both have a young female protagonist who is interested in justice and in protecting the innocent. And she's brave in ways I was never brave as a child. I'm still not very brave as an adult. Um, She has a supportive family of thoughtful people. Um, and but but mostly it's a story of how Scout decides to deal with big, big issues far bigger than she should have to deal with. And I think that's the case with Annabelle as well. And most of my heroines, actually, but certainly Annabelle. Mm. And it's interesting just looking at the titles of those two books. You talked about the place. And of course, the book is called Wolf Hollow. The place is there in the title. And this one that we're going to talk about mainly is My Own Lightning. And the focus for that then becomes very much on the protagonist rather than place. Is that how you see it too? 
Uh, I do in a way. I always start with place. Place is always a character in my books. I, I invest heavily in, in the setting and it's always somewhere I know very, very well to my bones. All my senses come awake when I'm in that place as I'm writing because I've spent so much time there. So of course I go back to the family farm in my own lightning and the setting is as strong as it ever was. But yes, it's definitely a book about relationships, about self-discovery, about um, awareness of the world in new ways. I wrote it during the pandemic. So I was being bombarded, not just the pandemic, but all these world issues. I was being bombarded by external influences and trying to cope with them in isolation. Um, and, and so I had Annabelle do the same thing. I had external things really shock her literally and figuratively into a new awareness of her relationships and her world. And then I followed her and watched what happened and wrote it down. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to dig into that a little more deeply, I'm sure, but perhaps it would be nice to start with a reading. Sure. Um, I'm going to skip the first chapter because it has spoilers in it about Wolf Hollow, but I will read the beginning of chapter two. By the time I had climbed up out of Wolf Hollow to where the woods ended, the storm had come stomping out of the west in its big black boots, gnashing its teeth and shouting itself hoarse, and I realized that I shouldn't have ignored the maple leaves that had flashed their white warnings or the wind as it had suddenly blown cold against my bare arms but I had ignored them. And now I was caught unprepared without so much as a hat on my head. I knew about storms. I knew not to stand under a tree. I knew to stay away from anything metal, anything tall. I knew that if I could hear thunder, I was within reach of lightning, but I was nearly home with no shelter to be had. And the thought of lying flat on the ground to wait out the worst of it seemed idiotic. So I hurried on just as the storm pulled a fistful of cold, wet marbles from its pocket and flung them against my face. In the space of a moment, I was drenched, heavy with rain, torn between wanting the shelter of the trees and knowing I should leave them. It was the lightning itself that made me run, though I crouched at every white flash as if the storm were taking my picture and then raced on fast as I could. When I reached the crest of the hill where the lane waited to lead me down again toward home, I paused, shocked at the sight of the hemlocks along the lane, thrashing and twisting like they were trying to pull up their roots and run. I was standing there, rigid with fear, when suddenly the air fizzed around me as if I'd been dipped in wasps. In an instant, those wasps stung me all at once, every inch of me, inside and out, and I knew nothing at all except a sizzling pain in my head, a dreadful heat, a sharp emptiness in my chest, and a kind of ending. Someone started me again. From a dark and distant place, I felt someone pounding on my chest again and again, and I thought of my mother punching down a great white belly of dough. I opened my eyes, hoping to see her, but found myself in a curious night, impossibly dark, as if the stars were all inside my head. The pounding stopped. I felt a rough hand on my cheek. Suddenly, the cold rain, though it had surely been falling all along, the deep, disturbing thud of thunder in every one of my bones, and then I slipped away again. Mm. Well, I guess we want to talk about lightning, but before we get to lightning, I just want to talk a little bit about these wonderful word pictures that you create, and the lightning is a perfect example. I'm just overwhelmed with the sensory writing. So... I just wondered about a little bit about your process and whether that is purely from imagination or do you have to 
have seen those things? Do you have to be in a place to create that kind of writing? Um, I find that because I'm a poet, imagery is incredibly important to me in anything I write, including prose, that that is where I find the most enjoyment when I write is in creating metaphors and other images that I, because I set my books in a place I know very, very well, I don't have to be there as I'm writing because the senses have great memories and the senses are a universal language. If we're very blessed and have all five of our senses, we share that with everybody else on the planet who is similarly blessed. So if I rely on my sensory memory of a place, I still remember what it smells like, how the dust tastes on my tongue and what it sounds like in there, all of it. And so it all rises as I go back to that place in my memory. And I find that I get the most enjoyment out of putting those things into the work. And I hear from readers that they find a similar enjoyment in reading those things. So that's a very strong bridge between us, just as the emotions are, Mm -hmm. because we all understand what the emotions are. And so um, those two bridges, the senses and the emotions are, are my greatest tools. I think we have to talk about lightning (laughs) and being struck by lightning. And I'm guessing you have never been struck by lightning. I have not. That's one thing I I definitely (laughs) relied on, my imagination and research. And what happens to Annabelle after the lightning strike and she starts to heal is that she's left with these incredible sensory perceptions that they're much heightened as a result of that. Um, You've said the word research there. So I suppose what I'm really interested to know is tell me a little bit about that. What did you learn about people who've been struck by lightning and have survived? Well, unlike other um, authors who, who are, work much harder than I do, um, I do very little research. And that's partly not because I'm so lazy, although I tend to be when it comes to that, but also because I want the story to guide the research instead of the research guiding the story. I find if I do too much research, I, I follow things that I learn instead of following my characters. So I do only enough to answer my own questions. In this case, I knew a fair bit already because I'm fascinated by the subject, not only of lightning strikes, but of what happens when the brain is affected by a fall, um, a shock or, or a disease or whatever. So much of our brain is, is mysterious to us. And so um, I've heard stories and read articles and known people with traumatic brain injuries um, and, and have been fascinated with the fact that, for instance, one man uh, was struck by lightning, survived it, was not um, irreparably uh, hurt by it, and could suddenly play the piano and compose music. Another could do complex mathematics. You know, these, these things they could not do before and could suddenly do absolutely fascinated me. And um, I wasn't sure when I started writing what exactly was going to happen to Annabelle to shake her out of the doldrums she was in from what had happened in the first book. But um, when I found her facing this storm, I thought, let's, let's, just, let's just let Mother Nature wake her up a little bit. And then I wasn't sure what would happen when she did wake up. But uh, I, without spoiling things too much, what you said about heightened senses, yes. And then another gift sort of appears, um, which makes her really see things differently than she ever has before. Can we talk about her and animals? I mean, I don't think that's giving too much away. I mean, that is one of the things that, um, and, and it's interesting that people are prepared or doctors are prepared to believe the heightened senses, but not that she has this new sensitivity towards animals. Right. And that's, um, you know, there are a lot of skeptical people in the world who don't believe something until it can be proven somehow conclusively for them. I believe in a lot of things that can't be proven. 
Um, it's interesting, religion can't be proven, and yet it's it's very common. But I have known people in the world, and and I, I myself have a little experience with this, very little, people who who have these these special gifts and abilities. They may be subtle, but they're definitely there. The ability to understand others, which is called empathy, um, is, is more common, but to understand animals is less common. And yet it does exist. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I thought it would be very interesting for Annabelle to uh, have this whole new layer of her life open up that has to do with primarily dogs. I'm a big fan of dogs. I don't have any dogs of my own. Kids always ask me that um, for a number of reasons, but I've known many dogs in my life and I believe they are wise, smart, and and um, interesting creatures. So I wanted Annabelle to get to know them in a new way. Mm. And dogs are important in this story because it's missing dogs that are part of the way in which this plot is propelled forward. There's three dogs that are missing at the beginning of this story. So this is a mystery. Yes. And I, uh, you know, I, I love reading mysteries. I don't think of myself as a mystery writer and, and I wouldn't call my books mysteries, but there's always an element of it, perhaps just a problem that needs to be solved. Um, confusion about how to do that and what the answer might be. So uh, I, you know, but that's what life is like every day presents us with problems that we have to solve. In mm-hmm. Annabelle's case, she tends to encounter problems that are much bigger than most kids encounter. I say that. And yet now I think again, um, kids these days face enormous problems and, uh, and have to sort a lot of them out on their own. So I guess, I guess, uh, yeah, no one's immune from that. I'd like to talk about some of the other characters uh, a little bit, and then maybe we can reflect on some of the bigger themes that keep emerging through the story. So there are some newcomers to the place, Mr. Edelman's, who interestingly, we perhaps feel a little bit suspicious of because he has a truck and in his truck, there's a cage which smells bad, smell to Annabelle smells of fear. Tell us a bit about that family and, and how they come to be where they are. He and his daughter, Nora, appear, yes, in this place. They're very reclusive and secretive. Um, it's a small community. Everybody knows everyone else. And yet they don't know these people. Um, who really do keep to themselves, and I won't reveal why, but um, they are part of the whole theme of how dangerous it is to judge others by first impressions or appearances. A lot of that going on in the world when I was writing this book, Um, and how important it is to look beneath the surface to get to know people before we make decisions about them, to assume that everyone we meet is carrying a heavy load a terrible burden of some kind, whether they show it or not. And therefore to be not only patient, but kind and decent and sympathetic and to give people more than one chance, um, which extends very, very much to Andy, who is another very important character in this book. Uh, and that, that's one of the things that Annabelle really focuses on in her journey is, is scrutinizing people. Um, there's only so much we can know from the outside looking in, but we can look hard. We can look much harder than we generally do. And we can reserve judgment um, and, until we know enough. Mm-hmm. And even then to be open to the possibility that we're wrong or that people are going to reinvent themselves and, and, um, and evolve. So mm-hmm. I, I think <laughs> the whole world has or should be involved in, in being more careful with one another. 
um, certainly Annabelle learns that lesson and it makes her a better person. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Andy as well. The difference between Andy and the Edelmans, if you like, is that the Edelmans are an unknown quantity. Andy is somebody that she does know and has had a very bad experience with. So her judgments are made on some form of evidence, but she still has a journey to go with this character too. She does. And, you know, I never in a million years imagined that I would write another book in which Andy would be a character and be anything other than a bully, because that's what he was in the first book. That's that's what we knew about him. But uh, animals are smart. And, and anyone who, um, not anyone, but a lot of people who appear to other humans as being cold, hard, hard-hearted, um, are seen differently by their dogs for various reasons. But in this case, in this case, Annabelle is watching so closely that she comes to understand through watching him with his dog that there's more to him than meets the eye. Not only how his dog sees him, but how he sees his dog, <laughs> the kind of kindness that rises in him when he sees his pup. So um, that's the beginning of the door opening to Andy's character. And for her going through that door and looking at his life, his family, his circumstances, and seeing things she didn't understand before, which don't necessarily excuse him, but do explain him. Mm -hmm. There is a line that says, two truths, one making a lie of the other, unless I believe them both. And it's about being able to hold both those things true in your head mm-hmm. um, because life is complex. Yes. Yeah, so are people. And um, the business of life, the business of relationships is not for the faint of heart, but it's what we have. And relationships are worth the effort, you know, until they're not uh, the, the, the character in Wolf Hollow, Betty was a different kettle of fish. She was really bad to the bone. Um, perhaps uh, Annabelle would have given her another look under the circumstances, but, uh, but definitely Andy deserves another look and thank goodness for, for Annabelle's sake too, that she, she makes that effort because it, it really pulls her out of the darkness she's been in mm-hmm. and, and shows her that um, she has the power to really uh, change her life and, and live her life the way she wants to. Mm-hmm. Age doesn't mean anything in that regard. She is her own, uh, the captain of her own ship. And uh, very much a part of her family and relationships with friends, but she is still in charge of how she believes, what she believes and how she behaves. In a way, the lightning strike is a metaphor for her enlightening. (laughs) Um, She says, I need to be my own lightning, my own book, my own teacher. And, you know, this is a book about coming of age, coming to an enlightening or an epiphany. Absolutely. That's the word for it. It's a, it's a book about epiphany. If I were to go to this part of Pennsylvania today, set in 1944, mm-hmm. um, if I were to go there today, what would be the same and what would be different? Oh, good question. I've never had that one. So the family farm is still there. It's McConnell's farm. They still grow the best peaches in the world and many other things besides. It is still run by my family, although a new generation combined with the old My mother's brothers, um, especially my uncles, Cal and Ed, are still there working the farm. But, you know, it changes. Of course, there are there are new um, aspects to things. But that was true all along. 40s, 50s, 60s, every decade brought change. But the land is still the same. Um, The old farmhouse, 
that I describe in the book, although it's been improved, is still the same. Um, the barn is gone now, but the memory of it remains. I will never forget being in that barn on that threshing floor, uh, working with my grandfather ever as long as I live. So things change, but memories preserve what's important. Mm. And as somebody from the UK, I was brought into contact with a completely different wildlife, completely set, different set of birds, different set of flowers. You know, the names for them were very different. And that was part of the joy of reading this, that it was so specific um, in place. Is that something that you really love, the wildlife, the outdoors? Absolutely. Um, I feel most at home and most myself in the natural world, even one that's some, somewhat tamed like a farm is. I pay attention, as all artists do and all perceptive people do, to the details. And if I don't know something, I find out what the the name of a, of a plant is, what it's what, anything I can about it, because I think authentic detail adds flavor to a work, especially historical fiction. It's important to get it right. Um, to call things by the proper names and and to understand the environment. So um, most of it comes from personal experience, but there is uh, a little bit of research as well. Sometimes it's picking up the phone and calling my mother and saying, remind me when you were a child during World War II and kinds of foods that you ate, what it was like to ration food, all those things, how they kept every bit of string, how they went out and hunted for fireflies or lightning bugs in the evening because the Navy needed the phosphorescence for, you know, signaling in the dark. Whether those things were true or not, that's what the children were told. And so her stories and other research I've done and my own experiences all mixed together end up producing a pretty authentic portrayal of what life was like then. Can I ask whether your mother has read the books and whether she recognizes that life in them? Yes, very much so, as well as my uncles. Um, she, she's, It's so funny. When I wrote Wolf Hollow and she read the first draft of it, she said, oh, yes, you've captured where it took place and, and a lot of the details. But the story is nothing like my, you know, well, of course, this is fiction. But because she was so immersed in the setting the, and, and the people were so reflective in some ways of people we've known, um, she's, she sort of expected the, the plot to be more a reflection of her childhood. And I was careful that, it, that that was not the case. I wanted this to be my own story. And so um, it was a real blend of, of truth and fiction, um, very much so for, for both Wolf Hollow and My Own Lightning. So although My Own Lightning is a sequel to Wolf Hollow, I did feel that Wolf Hollow had an ending. It was a, it was a complete story with an ending. And I also feel that we've got to an ending here with My Own Lightning. Uh, so I'm going to ask the obvious question that I'm sure you've been asked so many times before, which is, is it an ending or is there another one to come? You know, you never know. I never thought I'd write a sequel to Wolf Hollow. And um, and I was even warned, do not write a sequel because, you know, you're done with that story and because sequels are difficult. Um, but I wanted to return to that place and that time and to that girl and to find out what happened to her next. So now I don't know. I have one book I'm rewriting, another book, one I'm halfway through. I have plans for another one after that. So if I write another book in a Wolf Hollow series, it won't be for a while. I've also had so many people ask for a sequel 
two Beyond the Bright Sea and one for Echo Mountain. Um, but I'm taking a little break from sequels for now. And what I'm writing now is, is brand new and fresh. Uh, and I'm intrigued by it. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm having a wonderful time following a new character. That sounds fabulous. And I can't wait to read it. Uh, Lauren, it's been such a delight talking to you today. Thank you for joining me and telling us just a little bit more to give us a flavour of my own lightning. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Nikki. Anytime. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. This episode is generously sponsored by Puffin Children's Books. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.